Well, good morning, Hope Community Church. It is a good day to be in the house. In case you didn't know, it is already uh, almost all the way through the month of July, over halfway through the year. And uh, it's exciting. God's doing some really neat things. And, um, and I'm excited to still be in this conversation uh, about tug of war, the idea that that the culture and, and the Bible are, are generally at odds with each other and have been at odds with each other for generations. This is not a new thing. This is not something that just popped up. And for that reason, the church, you and me, we need to be confident about what we believe. We need to, we need to be able to filter whatever comes to us through a biblical worldview. And so we've been leaning into this for the last seven, almost eight weeks and, and really digging into what it means, what it means, what creation means to us, what, what identity is, all these questions. Now we're on the question of meaning, like, what is it, what is my life supposed to be about? What, what was, uh, in in the church, we call it, what am I called to? So we're going to have that going to have that conversation this morning. And first, I want to welcome all those joining us online, the online church. Could you welcome them? Uh, that's a big deal. Our, our online church is growing. We're reaching more people. And I just want to say uh, that's exciting to have them with us today. And there's a great church in Concord, New Hampshire that is joining us as well. Hope Community Church Concord. And so could you give them a big old welcome? Uh, from Hedgesville, West Virginia. We're going to read from Acts this morning. We're going to read Acts chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1. Just to give you, a, we'll talk about it in a second, but this is, this is Saul of Tarsus, who we, who we now call Paul. His name was changed after his conversion. And he, he's responsible for writing about two-thirds of the New Testament. And this is the story of his conversion. And so we're going to read Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Why don't you stand to your feet in honor of reading the word? Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1, say amen if you're ready. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will Be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. Hearing the voice, but seeing no one, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. 
And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Hey, I want to read from Acts chapter 26 as well. This is Paul uh, in a trial, in a very important trial in front of very important people. Acts chapter 26. And this is his own testimony. What we just read was Luke's account of what happened to Paul. But this is his own testimony in Luke. Acts chapter 26 verse 12 through 18. Paul says out of his own mouth, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, but rise and stand up upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Father, we thank you for your word today, Lord. Thank you for a testimony like the one we're reading, Lord, of a life transformed, but not just transformed, called into your service. And we pray that we'd all hear that today. Change our minds today, Lord. It's the most important thing that could happen and change our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Luke describes in chapter 9 of Acts, Saul of Tarsus, his conversion during a trip to Damascus. He was actually on his way to Damascus to uh, detain and extradite uh, Jewish Christians who had fled uh, when when persecution broke out. Namely, persecution that that Saul uh, was overseeing. We know uh, that he had permission uh, to do this from the authorities. We know that that he oversaw. He might not have physically participated uh, in the physical beatings 
We, we, he might not have physically participated in the stoning of Stephen, but we know he was standing in approval of it. This guy was self-motivated. He didn't need a lot of people cheering him on. He was, he was uh, excited to be able to do this. Jesus had died and rose again. The disciples were going throughout all Jerusalem preaching this. The day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and preaches. 3,000 people get saved. And then the, and then the, the church, if you want to, it really wasn't called the church right then. It was actually called the way. And, and people just kept, kept believing and believing and believing that Jesus had resurrected. And not just in a story that he had resurrected, but the fact that if he resurrected, he must have been the son of God. He must have been the Messiah. So Saul of Tarsus, a devout Jew, and, and, and someone who, who could not wrap his head around the idea of this man named Jesus being the Messiah, found it in himself and was self-motivated enough to go and begin persecution. He gets letters from the authorities that give him access into synagogues in Damascus. And he's on his way with a small entourage to Damascus. And before he gets to the gates of the city, Luke records in Acts chapter 9 that a bright light, a light that I don't know that we can, that the average person can fathom. It's not stage lights. It's not. It's not the sun. It was bright enough to blind them in the middle of the day. That's pretty bright. So imagine Saul of Tarsus, extremely confident, going to Damascus to carry out what he believes is his religious duty and probably defining the defining acts of his career. He's going to shut this thing down. And before he enters into Damascus, a light so bright, that he sees nothing else, blinds him, and he falls to the ground. Now, that would be a traumatic experience in and of itself. But what, what comes shortly after the blinding light that knocks him to the ground is a voice of someone he doesn't know. It says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, when he responds, he's not saying, Lord, as in I believe you're the Messiah. He doesn't know who it is. He's saying, who are you, Lord? As if, as if to say, this is somebody with authority. They just knocked me down on the ground. Now, now listen, I need to explain to you something. When we picture this, we picture, we picture Saul being knocked to the ground and then a voice coming from nowhere coming into Saul's head because it says the other, the other people with him didn't hear it. But let me, let me make this case for you. How would he have known if he was blind? So as far as Saul of Tarsus would know right now, the light was so bright that he was blind. Matter of fact, he stayed blind for days. He's on the ground and he hears clear as day in close proximity to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I guarantee you he thought he was standing right beside him. So Saul responds, who are you, Lord? All of a sudden, he's going, hey, whoever this is has more authority than me. Whoever this is has more authority than me. 
And then the most shocking thing he had heard in his life. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. So now, now all of Saul's energy, all of his ambition, all of his, all of his belief system that this Jesus could not have raised from the dead and all these people are nuts that are, that are following this way, that, that all of it was crumbling right before him. As far as he could tell, this Jesus who he believed was dead was standing right in front of him. There's no other explanation for it. He says, this, he said, this is Jesus whom you persecuted. Now, Saul of Tarsus has a decision to make. Actually, it wasn't much of a decision. He couldn't just stand up and say, nah, that wasn't him. He couldn't just stand up and say, and say well, it was fake because everybody around him saw the blinding light. So all of a sudden, the miracles that he had heard Jesus do, the, the, all the things that came along with the name of Jesus, now Jesus is talking to him, standing in front of him even, and there was enough power in him to blind Saul and throw him to the ground. Saul's having a transformation moment. His people pick him up and they take him into Damascus and God tells him where to go. Hey, go here and stay here and I'm going to tell you what to do. Now the crazy part is he, he goes to a house and there's a man in Damascus named Ananias that is a believer. I don't, know if, I don't know if he had visited Jerusalem when Jesus was around. I don't know how he became a believer, but he was a believer. And God came to him in the middle of a, in, in a vision and told him about a vision somebody else had had, namely Saul of Tarsus, and said, hey, I want you to go to him and lay hands on him and pray for him so that he could receive his sight back. And Ananias' first, first response to God was, nope, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I, I've heard his reputation, and I'm not getting anywhere near that guy. And he says, I picked him. I picked him. He's good. He needs you to come pray for him. And so Ananias follows through, prays for Saul of Tarsus, and these things like scales come down off his eyes, and, and he's baptized. And if you keep reading, he starts preaching. This idea of what we call in the church your calling, your purpose in life. If you're young in here, you may be asking, maybe you're in high school, you may be asking, uh, man, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? What kind of job am I going to get? And if you're hanging around enough people my age, we're always asking it. If you're a senior in high school, everybody's asking you, so what are you going to do in college? What are you going to do for a living? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Hey, if you're, if you're, if you're still in high school or maybe in college, just, just go like this. Go. It's okay if you don't know. It's okay if you haven't had it all figured out yet. I don't think I got it figured out until I was, I was about 24 years old. I was married with kids. It took me a little bit to figure it out. 
But today, I want to give you a couple, a couple principles, a couple steps to help you figure it out. Maybe you're 40 years old in here this morning, and, and you're still struggling with, like, what, what is my life? What, what am I supposed to accomplish? There's got to be something more than just showing up to work every day and, and putting in the hours. There's got to be something more than Netflix or whatever else consumes our time. If you want to be serious about calling in your life, then we have to go backwards a little bit. Last week we talked about calling or meaning of life or, or your purpose in life does not, is not something you decide, it's something you discover. But I need to elaborate on that this morning and tell you that, that without a transformed mind, you'll never figure it out. Or, or you, might, you might do something you're talented at, but you'll never really live out your purpose without a transformed mind. It won't happen. The Bible, the Bible's clear about it. Romans chapter 12, verse two, it says, do not be conformed to this world. Listen, do not be conformed to this world, the tug of war, the culture, do not be conformed to the culture, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. So, so Paul's writing to the Romans and he's saying, Hey, listen, I know this firsthand. There's no way I would have figured this out outside of having my mind transformed by an encounter with Jesus. So when he writes to the Romans in chapter 12, he says, Hey, don't be conformed to the world. Don't let the tug of war pull you over it into a belief system. That's not true. But he said, Pull the other way and have your mind renewed. How do we do that? We have it renewed by the word. We have it renewed by prayer. We have it renewed by experiences with Christ. We have it renewed in all these ways. And he says, once your mind is renewed, made new, once you become a new creature in Christ, then you have the ability to discern what God's will is for your life. Then you have the ability to discern what his purpose is for your life, but not before. Don't get it mixed up. Don't think, um, don't think this is a formula of like, well, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to find three steps that, that I'm going to just apply these three steps and then I'll know what the purpose is. No, because the purpose is born out of encounters with God. Saul of Tarsus would have never became Paul, would have never wrote two thirds of the New Testament, would have never, would have never preach the gospel all the way to Europe if it had not been for his mind being renewed through an encounter with Jesus. If he had not been made new through belief in Christ, it would not have happened. As a matter of fact, not only could he not discern it, he was doing the exact opposite of it. Instead of spreading the gospel, he was persecuting those who believed. The irony is, that he could not discern the will of God because he was rejecting the one God sent to save him. So when the creator of all the universe comes to us, Emmanuel God with us, and he says, I've come with a purpose to give you purpose, to give you new life, and to give you a purpose in this life, you can't then reject him and expect to still walk that out. Saul had to have a moment that changed what he thought about Jesus. His mind had to be renewed first before he could fulfill 
any God-given purpose. So here we go. The Damascus Road totally changed Saul's thinking. The very person that was building a career on denying Jesus rose, that Jesus rose from the dead was now having a conversation with Jesus. This had to be the first step. It has to be the first step. If you're sitting in here in this morning and, and, you, and you haven't leaned into Jesus and you've, maybe you're even rejecting him today, if you're trying to find purpose and meaning in life outside of that relationship, it, it is not possible. You may do something that makes you feel better. You may do something that you're talented at, but it's impossible to find the purpose from the creator when you reject the creator. Saul had to find this out firsthand. We see this principle in Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. And you might say, well, the parable of the sower, that's strange, that's about sowing the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Jesus tells a story about seed that was sowed on four different types of soil, and he explains it here in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 18. It says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. For what was sown among thorns, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word but cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. As for that, what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it. He, he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and in another 30. So here's the thing, 25% of the seed sown came up, that's it. 75% didn't come up. And the 25% that came up had a real transformation in their thinking. Had a real heart transformation, had a real mind transformation. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who encounters Jesus and understands how big a deal this is. Saul of Tarsus was blinded by a bright light, he hears Jesus in front of him talking to him, and he goes, I can't ignore this. I can't ignore it. I, I can't walk away from this. The problem with 75% of where the seed's sown is that we go, I don't know. I got too much trouble right now to care about that. There wasn't a mind transformation. There wasn't a heart transformation. Ah, the deceitfulness of riches and this and all the culture, that just sucked me up. And so... And so, I, I, yeah, I wanted to do this thing over here, but this is so nice over here. And there's not a transformation that is taking place. Have it been made new? The mind has to be transformed first. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to transform your mind first. That happens through an encounter with Jesus. That's the only way. That's the only way. So let's look at now Saul of Tarsus before his conversion and who we now call Paul after his conversion. 
they're, they're kind of the same people almost. It's kind of strange, isn't it? It's um, Saul of Tarsus was self-motivated. He was um, confident. He was uh, ambitious. He was intelligent. He had studied at the feet of the best theologians of the time. He was accomplished. He was not afraid. He was bold. He was all those things. He, he has an encounter with the risen Savior. And guess what? He doesn't lose any of that. He doesn't lose any of it. His calling fits who God made him. Now, here's what I need you to understand. That if, that if, that if you're not saved here this morning, if you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus this morning, this is what I need you to understand. Listen, online, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus this morning, this is what I need you to understand. Whatever you're really good at, the good parts of your personality, the, the good parts of your work, the, all that stuff, God is not going to get rid of that when you come to him. Why would he do that? As a matter of fact, that's not even the case. Not even close. What he actually does is when we come to him, we take, he takes what we have been taking because all good gifts come from him. He gives us all the talent and ability that we have. The problem is, is that he's given this to us and we've ignored him and we've taken what he's given it to, given to us and we've used it for our own, our own will. So God doesn't erase what we're good at. We have an encounter with him. He changes our mind, changes our heart. And now all of a sudden, all the things that we're good at, he turns it and he says, now watch this. I'll make you exponentially more productive. I'll make you exponentially more, more impactful. I'll make you exponentially more powerful in what I already created you to be good at. Now think about it. Saul of Tarsus didn't even make it to Damascus. Paul makes it all over the then known world. So when, when God took what he was already good at, when, when Saul had the encounter and his mind was transformed, it didn't erase what he was good at. It actually enlightened and exponentially increased what he was good at. So if you're sitting here today and you're going, man, this is what I'm good at, but I don't know how to make that, you have to take what you're good at and surrender it to him. You have to take what you're good at and say, Lord, I need my mind transformed to think about this a different way. If I'm going to live with purpose in my life, then I have to look forward. I have to look to the one that gave me, that's giving me the purpose. I have to look to the one who wired me the way I am, that gave me the talents that I have. Paul was infinitely more effective after his conversion than he ever was before. Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 19, it says, And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the Son of God. (laughs) Now, I need to let you know what kind of crazy this is. There's no way. There's no way. Remember, Ananias had already heard about his reputation. Ananias had already heard about Saul of Tarsus, and what he was capable of. He got letters to carry with him into Damascus to the synagogues. I'm sure word had carried before. You know how it happens. I'm sure word had carried before going all the way to Damascus. Hey, Saul's on his way here. Things are about to drop. Things are about to go down. 
He's going he's to round some people up. And then when he gets there, nobody except the people that were with him and Ananias and the, and the people in the house with him knew there was a conversion. No one else knew it. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have Facebook. Nobody posted, hey, I saw Saul of Tarsus and he was blind and this guy prayed for him and he wasn't and they baptized him and now he believes in Jesus. There wasn't any of that. Could you imagine he stays in Damascus and he walks into a synagogue for the first time and everybody in the synagogue hears it's Saul of Tarsus. Oh, this is what the guy looks like. This is what the guy, this is the man. This is the guy who's single-handedly persecuting Christians. He's about ready to round everybody up. And the words that come out of his mouth are, Jesus is the Christ. (laughs) Could you imagine? Everybody in the synagogue just went, what? Is this a game? Is this a joke? Is somebody playing a trick on me? This guy came from Jerusalem and I know he came here to round everybody up. And now he's saying Jesus is the Christ. Here's what this tells me about Paul. This tells me as confident and motivated as he was as Saul of Tarsus, he was 10 times as confident and motivated in the purpose of God when he was Paul the apostle. Because to have, to be able to walk into a synagogue and be able to, the first thing that you talk about in your conversion is, hey, Jesus is the Christ. He's not explaining anything. He's, he's going on and on about Jesus is the Christ, and it is baffling everyone around him. Come on, you know how it is. You know, as you come to Christ and you're, and you got some relatives that don't believe, and you get to the Thanksgiving thing, and they're asking you how it's going, you're like, I mean, you know, I mean, it's good. You don't want to tell everybody. You don't want to cause a stir. You don't want to, and, and then they see you post something like, hey, I was in church this morning. They're like, what are you doing? Like nowadays in our culture, we like to lay low a little bit. Not, not Paul. He was like, I was blinded by the risen Jesus. He spoke to me like he was standing right in front of me. I got no reason to believe he wasn't. And now I'm here And it just happened, and I'm going to tell everybody. He was the same person, only more. Listen, if you're not fulfilling the will of God, the purpose of God in your life, I need to let you know there are hints of God's glory in you even before you come to Christ. There's hints of God's glory in us even before our conversion. But the fullness of his power will never work through us. It never becomes evident until after we put our faith in him. The first step to figuring out your purposes is to put your faith in him and then to realize what he's already made you good at. Now you'll, now it'll be exponentially used for, for, for the purpose he's put in you. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 19, all the way at the end of his life now, he's standing before King Agrippa. And he says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. 
For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. What does he say all the way at the end of his life? He said, I did exactly what he told me to. I did exactly what he told me to. I didn't make up my own script. I didn't make up my own thing. I did exactly with all the zeal I could muster what he made me good at before I found he exponentially made me good at after. And I did everything I was supposed to. I don't know about you, but I want that to be the story of my life. I want to point out one more thing about this. We'll move to the last, the last point. You do realize the persecutor became the persecuted. The persecutor became the persecuted. Listen, our calling can be a holy reversal of our disobedience. I know, there, I know in a room this size, I know with a church this size, there are people sitting right here right now going, man, you have no idea. I blew it to the point. God can't use me. God can't use me. I blew it. I blew it. And I don't know how he could ever reverse this. I don't even know what I'm good at. Now, just for the sake of argument, I don't know anybody in the room who for the last few years has been rounding up Christians and imprisoning them. I don't, I don't anybody want to admit to that? I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. So let's just clear that. So you, you, might have, you might have lived a dishonorable life. You might have sinned against God. You, you, you probably did. And all of us have at some level, but you might be sitting here this morning or online this morning thinking, there's no way he could redeem what I've done. He redeemed all that Paul did. It was a reversal. It was a reversal. He did, he did tell Paul that he would have to he would show him how much he'd have to suffer for this gospel. And the reversal was that Paul was the one bringing the suffering. Paul, the, the, Saul of Tarsus was the one bringing the suffering. But after his conversion, Paul would know what it was like on the other end of that. And I've seen it over the past couple decades. What happens with people is oftentimes God takes the exact thing that was keeping them from him and he reverses it after they come. There's people in this room right now who struggle with drug addiction. There's people in this room struggled that have struggled with alcoholism. There's, you, you've, you've struggled for years and years and years, maybe even decades. And then all of a sudden, you had your road to Damascus experience. You, and you thought, I have no purpose, I have no purpose, I have no purpose. And then all of a sudden, the reversal came. And the very thing that, that kept you from him all those years, now he's using to pull you close. Now he's using as the purpose in your life. Okay, now you've had the encounter with me. I've, I've cleansed your mind. I've renewed your mind. I've transformed your mind. And now you're going to use all that mess. And now I'm going to use it as a testimony for you to reach other people. I know piles of people that's happening with. Now, teenager, let me, let me, let me clarify something. You do not have to do something crazy in order for God to use you later. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking to the person that's, that, that's lived a life off the rails and you don't think God can use anything you've done. I'm telling you, he is the master at reversing those things. He's the master at giving purpose to what you already screwed up. 
Paul sees that in his life. We see that in Moses. You do realize Moses, before he ever left Egypt, killed an Egyptian that was abusing a Hebrew slave. He killed him, buried him in the sand. A regular, a regular hit man, Moses. He kills him. He sees him abusing a Hebrew slave. Moses kills him. But the problem is, everybody thinks Moses is an Egyptian. Nobody knows. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. Moses doesn't dress like a slave. So Moses comes out to where they're working, and, and he sees one being abused, and he kills him. And instead of, the, instead of the Hebrews going, oh, man, here's our deliverer, Moses walks up on a couple guys fighting, and they go, what, are you going to kill us? And he realizes, oh, I screwed this up. I, I, this isn't God's plan. I messed it up. I went out on my own. And then 40 years later, God reverses it and says, okay, I do want you to deliver people, but you're going to do it my way. You're not going to go in there and just start slaughtering people. You're going to go in there and let my power be displayed through you. So even Moses has a reversal. Hey, Lord, I screwed this up and ended up on the backside of the desert. And God goes, okay, the thing you screwed up that caused you to stay out here, I'll redeem. And I'm going to send you back now, but it's going to look different. You're not going to go in your own strength. Last thing. You have to have a mind renewal, mind transformation to really find your purpose. You have to... You have to realize that the giftings God already has in you are the ones that he'll use. They are the the ones that he'll use. But here's something that I need you to understand. Lean in for the last few minutes. God's purpose for your life is not something to find out on Wednesday this week and then never look again. I mean, you know what? You know what the crazy part is? Is that God's purpose in our lives is continually working itself out and fleshing itself out. We're discovering it over and over and over again. We're just, there, there's so many facets of it. And, it and, and if you truly seek it out for the rest of your life, he'll keep revealing depths and dimensions of it that you could never imagine. But here's what people do. I've used this illustration before when we talk about finding your purpose in life. A matter of fact, I preached this um, probably, probably 20, 25 times in Kenya this year. It's the difference between a rake and a shovel. Everybody know what a rake is? You know what a rake is, right? It's got some teeth on it, and you, you rake. A rake is really just to move around what's on the surface. You don't dig with a rake. You just move around the rocks that are on the surface. And, and if you just rake for a couple days straight, you realize you don't rake any new rocks. You just rake the rocks that, you're, that you've been raking. But with a shovel, with a shovel, you can uncover new things. You can keep digging. And you can uncover rocks that you didn't even know were down there. You can uncover things. You can discover things with a shovel. And you can keep digging. You can dig till you hit something that's valuable. You can dig till you hit water. Maybe in the right place, dig till you hit oil. Maybe in the right place, dig till you hit china. I, I, don't, I don't think that's possible. That's what I was told as a kid. (laughs) What we do with our purpose, what we do with the meaning in our life, as soon 
we, we get really excited about it. We have a mind transformation. We have an encounter with God. He renews our mind. He makes us a new creation. Our sins are forgiven. And then what we do is we latch on to that, to that, that first few months and that first few weeks. And we go, oh, man, this is so awesome, man. God, yeah. Yeah, we lock into it. And then we stop. And we get out the rake and we just keep raking that around. Oh, man, this is great. And 40 years later, we're raking the same rocks we started with. And my contention to you today is this. Put the rake away and grab a shovel. Because God's purpose in your life has so much depth to it that you can't, you can't even start with the rake. It's something to continually discover. The talents and abilities. You know, you know what I believe? I believe you're good at things you don't even know you're good at yet. I believe there's talents and abilities in you you don't even know are, that, that you haven't even tapped into yet. And you won't unless you have a relationship with the creator. Unless you keep digging, unless you keep praying. Lord, show me what today has to offer. Let me see the opportunities. Change me into somebody that could take advantage of it. Continually renew my mind. Those are the prayers we have to pray. So we get a rake out. The tragedy for the church is that when we have a conversion experience, we settle for only the words we hear when we're blind. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is Jesus whom you persecuted. And the problem is when our eyes are opened, do you know what I think is easier? I think it's easier to trust him when you're blind. Hey, I got, no, I, got, I got no out on this. I'm just going to, man, you blinded me. What am I supposed to do? Like, I'll just trust you right here. I guess I'm going to go to this guy's house. I guess somebody's going to pray. I guess, I guess you're going to lead me. I don't know. But then when he renews us and he gives us new vision, we open up and the world is still there. So instead of digging to see what God wants us to do, we get the rake out so we can come over here a little bit and still and still do what everybody else is doing. That's a tragedy. We got to focus, focus on finding out what our purpose is on a daily basis. It's to be discovered over a lifetime. And the problem with the church settling and going, well, this is all it is is that it can make us impotent in the world. We're not discovering all the great things that God has for us to do and accomplish. Seems like we rise to a certain level and then we just keep raking the same soil around, never discovering anything new, never taking new territory or new victories. What if we as a church started thinking different? What if we started thinking different? What if, I told you last week, I said the, the problem with us is we're often praying about what has already happened. We're often laying our head down at night going, oh, Lord, today was awful. Today was awful. Give me a new boss. Give me new employees. Give me new this. I can't deal with it anymore. Lord, today was awful. Instead of saying, Lord, what do you have for me tomorrow? Prepare me for what's coming tomorrow, Lord, that I can be, that I can live the purpose you have for me. And so instead of saying, Lord, woe is me about what has happened, what if the church rose up and prayed, Lord, what's next? 
I'm going to keep digging until I find out what's next. Lord, what's next? And if you read the Apostle Paul's life, all the way through all the epistles, all his letters, all the way through, if you read the Apostle Paul, he lived a life of what's next. What's next? I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Not that, we talked about it last week. Not that I've attained all this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's at the end of his life. He said, not that I've arrived, but I'm always asking, what's next, Lord? What's next, Lord? What's next, Lord? Come on, let's keep digging. Let's keep digging. We're going to figure it out. And the beautiful thing is you've got a whole church family that can come around you. They can encourage you and say, hey, man, that's a good idea. Look, go for it. Or in the inverse, no, that's really dumb. Don't do it. (laughs) But we have an opportunity in front of us to be transformed by our creator, to lean into that relationship, have him renew our mind, renew our spirit, and and then accomplish his will in our lives, his purpose. And there is nothing better than that. This is proof all the way to the end. Stand to your feet. The band's going to come up. All the way at the end of Paul's life. Paul is now at Acts chapter 28. Paul is in house arrest at Rome awaiting trial. He, he, he's a prisoner. And he's still saying, what's next? He's still saying, come on, come on, come on. There's more to do, more to do. Come on, there's more to live out. In verse 30 of Acts chapter 28, it says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul never changed. He just kept discovering more, discovering more, discovering more. Lord, this is your purpose in me. Your purpose doesn't change, it just gets richer. It just gets deeper. It just gets better. So all the way at the end on hot in house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial, he says, no, keep coming. So all that came, he kept proclaiming Jesus is the Christ. What's next, Lord? I want to pray with you this morning. If you're not already standing, stand to your feet. I want to pray with you that this would be your prayer for the rest of this year. If you have not had a transformational encounter with Jesus, today is your day. If you have not had a transformational encounter with the one who created you, don't wait any longer. And we're not going to put the lights in your eyes and blind you. Listen, he blinded, he blinded Saul of Tarsus. You're standing in a church where his presence already is. There's no need for it. He's accessible. God is extremely accessible through Christ. And, Christ, and the presence of God is here. You just have to say, Lord, transform me. I submit, I, I, I surrender to you, my sin, my life. I surrender to you. I need you to forgive me and transform my heart and my mind. And Lord, as you do that, reveal your purpose for me. I don't want to live another second. It's not on purpose. And not just on purpose, but your purpose. Let's pray that way this morning. Father, we thank you. God, for the person in here that doesn't know you, that that hasn't had a life-transforming experience with you, I pray that that would happen right now. I pray they wouldn't wait another second. It would happen right now. 
And Lord, I pray that they would discover that you have meaning for them, that you have purpose for them. Lord, I pray that they discover it today. And Lord, I pray from this day forward that they would keep exploring your purpose in their lives. Lord, I pray for the person that's been serving you, that that they that it just feels like it's gone kind of stale, Lord. I pray they get a shovel out and start digging. They dig in your word. They dig in prayer. They keep discovering what you have for them. Lord, I pray if there's someone here who feels like you can't use them because some something they did in the past, I pray that you show them how good you are in redeeming our whole past for your purpose in the future. Thank you for today. Thank you that we have a moment to encounter you and be transformed and your purpose made clear in our lives. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, church. Can you give him honor? praise this morning. He's good. Amen. Hey, listen, we will be back here next week, July 30th. I've got a special announcement. Don't miss it. And we'll see you back here then.